Part 2 of Chapter 8 of Aviation Instructor's Handbook by the FAA. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2 of Chapter 8 Assessment of Piloting Ability Assessment is an essential component of the teaching process. It determines how, what, and how well a student is learning. A well-designed assessment provides a student with something constructive upon which he or she can work or build. An assessment should provide direction and guidance to raise the level of performance. Students must understand the purpose of the assessment, otherwise they will be unlikely to accept the evaluation offered and little improvement will result. There are many types of assessment, but the flight instructor generally uses the review, collaborative assessment, LCG, written tests, and performance-based tests to ascertain knowledge or practical skill levels. Refer to Chapter 5 for an in-depth discussion of the types of assessment available to the flight instructor. An assessment can also be used as a tool for reteaching. Although not all assessments lend themselves to reteaching, the instructor should be alert to the possibility and take advantage of the opportunity when it arises. In assessing the ability of a student, the instructor initially determines if he or she understands the procedure or maneuver. Then, the instructor demonstrates the maneuver, allows the student to practice the maneuver under direction, and finally evaluates student accomplishment by observing the performance. Demonstrated Ability Assessment of demonstrated ability during flight instruction must be based upon established standards of performance, suitably modified to apply the student's experience and stage of development as a pilot. The assessment must consider the student's mastery of the elements involved in the maneuver, rather than merely the overall performance. In order for a student to be signed off for a solo flight, the CFI must determine that the student is qualified and proficient in the flight tasks necessary for the flight. The CFI bases this assessment on the student's ability to demonstrate consistent proficiency on a number of flight maneuvers. Also associated with pilot skill evaluations during flight training are the stage checks conducted in FAA-approved school courses and their practical tests for pilot certificates and ratings. Post-Flight Evaluation In assessing piloting ability, it is important for the flight instructor to keep the student informed of progress. This may be done as each procedure or maneuver is completed or summarized during the post-flight critiques. Post-flight critiques should be in a written format such as notes to aid the flight instructor in covering all areas that were noticed during the flight or lesson. Traditionally, flight instructors explained errors in performance, pointed out elements in which the deficiencies were believed to have originated, and, if possible, suggested appropriate corrective measures. Traditional assessment depends on a grading scale of excellent, good, fair, poor, or exceeds standards, meets standards, needs more training which often meets the instructor's needs, but not the needs of the student. With the advent of SBT, collaborative assessment is used whenever the student has completed a scenario. As discussed in Chapters 4 and 5, SBT uses a highly structured script of real-world experiences to address aviation training objectives in an operational environment. During the post-flight evaluation, Collaborative assessment is used to evaluate whether certain learning criteria were met during the SBT. Collaborative assessment includes learner self-assessment and a detailed assessment by the aviation instructor. The purpose of the self-assessment 
is to stimulate growth in the learner's thought processes and, in turn, behaviors. The self-assessment is followed by an in-depth discussion between the instructor and the student, which compares the instructor's assessment to the student's self-assessment. First Solo Flight During the student's first solo flight, the instructor must be present to assist in answering questions or resolving any issues that arise during the flight. To ensure the solo flight is a positive, confidence-building experience for the student, the flight instructor needs to consider time of day when scheduling the flight. Time of day is a factor in traffic congestion, possible winds, sun angles, and reflection. If possible, the flight instructor needs access to a portable radio during any supervised solo operations. A radio enables the instructor to terminate the solo operation if he or she observes a situation developing. The flight instructor must use good judgment when communicating with a solo student. Keep all radio communications to a minimum. Do not talk to the student on short final of the landing approach. Post-Solo Debriefing During a post-solo debriefing, the flight instructor discusses what took place during the student's solo flight. It is important for the flight instructor to answer any questions the student may have as a result of a solo flight. Instructors need to be involved in all aspects of the flight to ensure the student utilizes correct flight procedures. It is very important for the flight instructor to debrief a student immediately after a solo flight. With the flight vividly etched in the student's memory, questions about the flight will come quickly. Correction of student errors. Correction of student errors should not include the practice of immediately taking the controls away when a mistake is made. Safety permitting, it is frequently better to let students progress part of the way into the mistake and find a way out. For example, in a weight shift control aircraft, the control bar is moved right to turn left. A student may show an initial tendency to move the bar in the direction of the desired turn. This tendency will dissipate with time, but allowing the student to see the effect of his or her control input is a valuable aid in illustrating the stability of the aircraft. It is difficult for the students to learn a maneuver properly if they seldom have the opportunity to correct an error. On the other hand, students may perform a procedure or maneuver correctly and not fully understand the principles or objectives involved. When the instructor suspects this, students should be required to vary the performance of the maneuver slightly, combine it with other operations, or apply the same elements to the performance of other maneuvers. Students who do not understand the principles involved will probably not be able to do this successfully. Pilot Supervision Flight instructors have the responsibility to provide guidance and restraint with respect to the solo operations of their students. This is by far the most important flight instructor responsibility. The flight instructor is the only person in a position to make the determination a student is ready for solo operations. Before endorsing a student for solo flight, the instructor should require the student to demonstrate consistent ability to perform all of the fundamental maneuvers. Dealing with normal challenges. Instructors should teach students how to solve ordinary problems encountered during flight. Traffic pattern congestion, change in active runway, or unexpected crosswinds are a challenge the student masters individually before being able to perform them collectively. Visualization. SBT lends itself well to visualization techniques. For example, have a student visualize how the flight may occur under normal circumstances with the student describing how he or she would fly the flight. 
then the instructor adds unforeseen circumstances such as a sudden change in weather that brings excessive winds during final approach other examples of sbt can have the instructor adding undesired landing sites for balloon student pilots rope breaks for glider students and radio outages for instrument airplane students now the student must visualize how he or she will handle the unexpected change during this visualization the flight instructor can ask questions to check the student's thought processes the job of the instructor is to challenge the student with realistic flying situations without overburdening him or her with unrealistic scenarios practice landings the faa recommends that in all student flights involving landing in an aircraft the flight instructor should teach a full stop landing full stop landings help the student develop aircraft control and checklist usage aircraft speed and control take precedence over all other actions during landings and takeoffs stress landing in the first third of the runway to ensure there is stopping distance for the aircraft if the student is unable to land in the first third teach him or her to make an immediate go around if the student bounces an airplane on landing teach the student to make an immediate go around by following these teaching guidelines the student is better equipped to properly execute landings when he or she solos furthermore by requiring the first solo flight to consist of landings to a full stop the flight instructor has the opportunity to stop the flight if necessary in gliders a low energy landing is the most desirable based on current winds this helps the student develop good off-field landing techniques this is dependent on current weather such as excess winds including crosswinds practical test recommendations provision is made on the airman certificate or rating application form for the written recommendation of the flight instructor who has prepared the applicant for the practical test involved signing this recommendation imposes a serious responsibility on the flight instructor a flight instructor who makes a practical test recommendation for an applicant seeking a certificate or rating should require the applicant to demonstrate thoroughly the knowledge and skill level required for that certificate or rating this demonstration should in no instance be less than the complete procedure prescribed in the applicable pts when the instructor endorses the applicant for the practical test his or her signature on the faa form 8710-1 airman certificate and or rating application is valid for 60 days this is also true with a flight proficiency endorsement that is placed in the applicant's logbook or training record advisory circular ac 61-65 these two dates should be the same completion of prerequisites for a practical test is another instructor task that must be documented properly examples of all common endorsements can be found in the current issue of ac 61-65 appendix 1 this appendix also includes references to 14 cfr part 61 certification pilots flight instructors and ground instructors for more details concerning the requirements that must be met to qualify for each respective endorsement the examples shown contain the essential elements of each endorsement it is not mandatory but recommended for all endorsements to be worded exactly as those in the eac for example changes to regulatory requirements may affect the wording or the instructor may customize the endorsement 
for any special circumstances of the applicant. However, at a minimum, the instructor needs to cite the appropriate 14 CFR Part 61 section that has been completed. FAA inspectors and DPEs rely on flight instructor recommendations as evidence of qualification for certification and proof that a review has been given of the subject areas found to be deficient on the appropriate knowledge test. Recommendations also provide assurance that the applicant has been thoroughly briefed on the PTS and the associated knowledge areas, maneuvers, and procedures. If the flight instructor has trained and prepared the applicant competently, the applicant should have no problem passing the practical test. A flight instructor who fails to ensure a student meets the requirements of regulations prior to endorsing solo flight or additional rating exhibits a serious deficiency in performance. The FAA holds him or her accountable. Providing a solo endorsement for a student who is not fully prepared to accept the responsibility of solo flight operations, or providing an endorsement for an additional rating to a pilot not meeting the appropriate regulatory requirements is also a breach of faith with the applicant. Aeronautical Decision-Making As discussed on page 8-2, aviation training and flight operations are now seen as a system rather than individual concepts. The goal of system safety is for pilots to utilize all four concepts, ADM, risk management, situational awareness, and SRM so that risk can be reduced to the lowest possible level. ADM is a systematic approach to the mental process used by aircraft pilots to consistently determine the best course of action in response to a given set of circumstances. Risk management is a decision-making process designed to systematically identify hazards, assess the degree of risk, and determine the best course of action associated with each flight. Situational awareness is the accurate perception and understanding of all the factors and conditions within the four fundamental risk elements that affect safety before, during, and after the flight. SRM is the art and science of managing all resources, both on board the aircraft and from outside sources, available to a single pilot, prior and during flight, to ensure the successful outcome of the flight. These key principles are often collectively called ADM. The importance of teaching students effective ADM skills cannot be overemphasized. While progress is continually being made in the advancement of pilot training methods, aircraft equipment and systems, and services for pilots, accidents still occur. Despite all the changes in technology to improve flight safety, one factor remains the same, the human factor. It is estimated that approximately 80% of all aviation accidents are human factors related. By taking a system approach to aviation safety, flight instructors interweave aeronautical knowledge, aircraft control skills, ADM, risk management, situational awareness, and SRM into the training process. Historically, the term pilot error has been used to describe the cause of these accidents. Pilot error means that an action or decision made by the pilot was the cause of or contributing factor to the accident. This definition also includes the pilot's failure to make a decision or take action. From a broader perspective, the phrase human factors related more aptly describes these accidents since it is usually not a single decision that leads to an accident, but a chain of events triggered by a number of factors. The poor judgment chain, or the error chain, 
describes this concept of contributing factors in a human factors-related accident. Breaking one link in the chain is all that is usually necessary to change the outcome of a sequence of events. The best way to illustrate this concept to students is to discuss specific situations that lead to aircraft accidents or incidents. The following is an example of the type of scenario that could be presented to illustrate the poor judgment chain. A private pilot with 100 hours of flight time made a precautionary landing on a narrow dirt runway at a private airport. The pilot lost directional control during landing and swerved off the runway into the grass. A witness recalled later that the aircraft appeared to be too high and fast on final approach and speculated the pilot was having difficulty controlling the aircraft in high winds. The weather at the time of the incident was reported as marginal VFR due to rain showers and thunderstorms. When the aircraft was fueled the following morning, 60 gallons of fuel were required to fill the 62-gallon capacity tanks. By discussing the events that led to this incident, instructors can help students understand how a series of judgmental errors contributed to the final outcome of this flight. Weather Decision On the morning of the flight, the pilot was running late and, having acquired a computer printout of the forecast the night before, he did not obtain a briefing from flight services before his departure. Flight Planning Decision slash Performance Chart The pilot calculated total fuel requirements for the trip based on a rule of thumb figure he had used previously for another airplane. He did not use the fuel tables printed in the pilot's operating handbook, POH, for the aircraft he was flying on this trip. After reaching his destination, this pilot did not request refueling. Based on his original calculations, he believed sufficient fuel remained for the flight home. Fatigue slash failure to recognize personal limitations. In the presence of deteriorating weather, the pilot departed for the flight home at 5 p.m. He did not consider how fatigue and lack of extensive night flying experience could affect the flight. Fuel exhaustion. With the aircraft fuel almost exhausted, the pilot no longer had the option of diverting to avoid rapidly developing thunderstorms. He was forced to land at the nearest airfield available. On numerous occasions during the flight, the pilot could have made decisions which might have prevented this incident. However, as the chain of events unfolded, each poor decision left him with fewer and fewer options. On the positive side, the pilot made a precautionary landing at a time and place of his choosing. VFR into IMC accidents often lead to fatalities. In this case, the pilot landed his aircraft without loss of life. Teaching pilots to make sound decisions is the key to preventing accidents. Traditional pilot instruction has emphasized flying skills, knowledge of the aircraft, and familiarity with regulations. ADM training focuses on the decision-making process and the factors that affect a pilot's ability to make effective choices. Timely decision-making is an important tool for any pilot. The student who hesitates when prompt action is required, or who makes the decision to not decide, has made a wrong decision. Sometimes, sound ADM calls for going against procedure. For example, in the event of an engine fire, the pilot initiates an emergency descent. Some POHs call for mixture to be enriched during an emergency descent. But what if the power plant is engulfed in flames? Emergencies require the pilot to think, assess the situation, choose, and execute the actions that assure safety, not act in a rote manner. 
it is important for flight instructors to teach students that declaring an emergency when one occurs is an appropriate reaction. Once an emergency is declared, Air Traffic Control, ATC, gives the pilot priority handling. 14 CFR Section 91.3, Responsibility and Authority of the Pilot in Command, states that, in an in-flight emergency requiring immediate action, the pilot in command may deviate from any rule of this part to the extent required to meet that emergency. Flight instructors should incorporate ADM, risk management, situational awareness, and SRM throughout the entire training course for all levels of students. AC 60-22 Aeronautical Decision Making provides background references, definitions, and other pertinent information about ADM training in the GA environment. Figure 8-7 The Decision-Making Process An understanding of the decision-making process provides students with a foundation for developing ADM skills. Some situations, such as engine failures, require a pilot to respond immediately using established procedures with little time for detailed analysis. Traditionally, pilots have been well-trained to react to emergencies, but are not as well prepared to make decisions, which require a more reflective response. Typically during a flight, the pilot has time to examine any changes that occur, gather information, and assess risk before reaching a decision. The steps leading to this conclusion constitute the decision-making process. When the decision-making process is presented to students, it is essential to discuss how the process applies to an actual flight situation. To explain the decision-making process, the instructor can introduce the following steps with the accompanying scenario that places the students in the position of making a decision about a typical flight situation. Defining the problem. The first step in the decision-making process is to define the problem. This begins with recognizing that a change has occurred or that an expected change did not occur. A problem is perceived first by the senses and then is distinguished through insight and experience. These same abilities, as well as an objective analysis of all available information, are used to determine the exact nature and severity of the problem. One critical error that can be made during the decision-making process is incorrectly defining the problem. For example, failure of a landing gear extended light to illuminate could indicate that the gear is not down and locked into place, or it could mean that the bulb is burned out. The actions to be taken in each of these circumstances would be significantly different. Fixating on a problem that does not exist can divert the pilot's attention from important tasks. The pilot's failure to maintain an awareness of the circumstances regarding the flight now becomes the problem. That is why, once an initial assumption is made regarding the problem, other sources must be used to verify the pilot's conclusion is correct. While on a cross-country flight, Brenda discovers her time en route between two checkpoints is significantly longer than the time she originally calculated. By noticing this discrepancy, she has recognized a change. Based on insight, cross-country flying experience, and knowledge of weather systems, she considers the possibility that she has an increased headwind. She verifies that the original calculations are correct and considers factors that may have lengthened the time between checkpoints, such as a climb or deviation off course. To determine if there is a change in the winds aloft forecast and to check recent pilot reports, she contacts FlightWatch. 
After weighing each information source, she concludes that the headwind has increased. To determine the severity of the problem, she calculates a new ground speed and reassesses fuel requirements. Choosing a course of action. After the problem has been identified, the pilot evaluates the need to react to it and determines the actions that may be taken to resolve the situation in the time available. The expected outcome of each possible action should be considered and the risks assessed before the pilot decides on a response to the situation. Brenda determines the fuel burn if she continues to her destination and considers other options. Turning around and landing at a nearby airport, diverting off course, or landing prior to her destination at an airport en route. She considers the expected outcome of each possible action and assesses the risks involved. After studying the chart, she concludes there is an airport which has refueling services within a reasonable distance along her route. She can refuel there and continue to her destination without a significant loss of time. Implementing the decision and evaluating the outcome. Although a decision may be reached and a course of action implemented, the decision-making process is not complete. It is important to think ahead and determine how the decision could affect other phases of the flight. As the flight progresses, the pilot must continue to evaluate the outcome of the decision to ensure that it is producing the desired result. To implement her decision, Brenda plots the course changes and calculates a new estimated time of arrival. She also contacts the nearest AFSS to amend her flight plan and check weather conditions at the new destination. As she proceeds to the airport, she continues to monitor ground speed, aircraft performance, and weather conditions to ensure no additional steps need to be taken to guarantee the safety of the flight. Factors Affecting Decision-Making It is important to stress to a student that being familiar with the decision-making process does not ensure he or she has the good judgment to be a safe pilot. The ability to make effective decisions as PIC depends on a number of factors. Some circumstances, such as the time available to make a decision, may be beyond the pilot's control. However, a pilot can learn to recognize these factors that can be managed and learn skills to improve decision-making ability and judgment. Recognizing hazardous attitudes. While the ADM process does not eliminate errors, it helps the pilot recognize errors and, in turn, enables the pilot to manage the error to minimize its effects. Two steps to improve flight safety are identifying personal attitudes hazardous to flight safety and learning behavior modification techniques. Flight instructors must be able to spot hazardous attitudes in a student because the recognition of hazardous thoughts is the first step toward neutralizing them. CFIs should keep in mind that being fit to fly depends on more than just a pilot's physical condition and recency of experience. Hazardous attitudes contribute to poor pilot judgment and affect the quality of decisions. Attitude can be defined as a personal motivational predisposition to respond to persons, situations, or events in a given manner. Studies have identified five hazardous attitudes that can affect a pilot's ability to make sound decisions and exercise authority properly. Figure 8-8. Figure 8-8 text. Pilots should examine their decisions carefully to ensure that their choices have not been influenced by a hazardous attitude. The five hazardous attitudes. Anti-authority. Don't tell me. 
This attitude is found in people who do not like anyone telling them what to do. In a sense, they are saying, no one can tell me what to do. They may be resentful of having someone tell them what to do, or may regard rules, regulations, and procedures as silly or unnecessary. However, it is always pilot prerogative to question authority if it seems to be an error. Impulsivity. Do it quickly. This is the attitude of people who frequently feel the need to do something, anything, immediately. They do not stop to think about what they are about to do. They do not select the best alternative, and they do the first thing that comes to mind. Invulnerability. It won't happen to me. Many people believe that accidents happen to others, but never to them. They know accidents can happen, and they know that anyone can be affected. They never really feel or believe that they will be personally involved. People who think this way are more likely to take chances and increase risk. Macho. I can do it. Pilots who are always trying to prove that they are better than anyone else are thinking, I can do it. I'll show them. Pilots with this type of attitude will try to prove themselves by taking risks in order to impress others. While this pattern is thought to be a male characteristic, women are equally susceptible. Resignation. What's the use? Pilots who think, what's the use, do not see themselves as being able to make a great deal of difference in what happens to them. When things go well, the pilot is apt to think that it is good luck. When things go badly, the pilot may feel that someone is out to get me, or attribute it to bad luck. The pilot will leave the action to others, for better or worse. Sometimes, such pilots will even go along with unreasonable requests just to be a nice guy. End of figure 8-8 text. In order for a student to self-examine behaviors during flight, he or she must be taught the potential risks caused from hazardous attitudes and, more importantly, the antidote for each. Figure 8-9. For example, if a student has an easy time with flight training and seems to understand things very quickly, there may be a potential for that student to have a macho, hazardous attitude. A successful CFI points out the potential for the behavior and teaches the student the antidote for that attitude. Hazardous attitudes need to be noticed immediately and corrected with a proper antidote to minimize the potential for any flight hazard. Figure 8-9. Text. Students in training can be asked to identify hazardous attitudes and the corresponding antidotes when presented with flight scenarios. Hazardous attitude. Macho. Steve often brags to his friends about his skills as a pilot and how close to the ground he flies. During a local pleasure flight in a single-engine airplane, he decides to buzz some friends barbecuing at a nearby park. Antidote. Taking chances is foolish. Hazardous attitude. Anti-authority. Although he knows that flying so low to the ground is prohibited by the regulations, he feels that the regulations are too restrictive in some circumstances. Antidote. Follow the rules. They are usually right. Hazardous attitude. Invulnerability. Steve is not worried about an accident since he has flown this low many times before and he has not had any problems. Antidote. It could happen to me. Hazardous attitude. Impulsivity. As he is buzzing the park, the airplane does not climb as well as Steve had anticipated, and, without thinking, he pulls back hard on the yoke. The airspeed drops, and the airplane is close to stalling as the wing brushes a power line. Antidote. Not so fast. Think first. Hazardous attitude. Resignation. 
Although Steve manages to recover, the wing sustains minor damage. Steve thinks to himself, it doesn't really matter how much effort I put in. The end result is the same whether I really try or not. Antidote. I'm not helpless. I can make a difference. End of figure 8-9 text. Stress management. Learning how to recognize and cope with stress is another effective ADM tool. Stress is the body's response to demands placed upon it. These demands can be either pleasant or unpleasant in nature. The causes of stress for a pilot can range from unexpected weather or mechanical problems while in flight to personal issues unrelated to flying. Stress is an inevitable and necessary part of life. It adds motivation and heightens the individual's response to meet any challenge. Everyone is stressed to some degree all the time. A certain amount of stress is good since it keeps a person alert and prevents complacency. However, the effects of stress are cumulative, and, if not coped with adequately, they eventually add up to an intolerable burden. Performance generally increases with the onset of stress, peaks, and then begins to fall off rapidly as stress levels exceed a person's ability to cope. The ability to make effective decisions during flight can be impaired by stress. Factors, referred to as stressors, can increase a pilot's risk of error in the flight deck. Figure 8-10 Figure 8-10 text Three types of stressors that can affect pilot performance. Physical stress Conditions associated with the environment such as temperature and humidity, noise, vibration, and lack of oxygen. Physiological stress Physical conditions such as fatigue, lack of physical fitness, sleep loss, missed meals leading to low blood sugar levels, and illness. Psychological stress. Social or emotional factors, such as a death in the family, a divorce, a sick child, or a demotion at work. This type of stress may also be related to mental workload, such as analyzing a problem, navigating an aircraft, or making decisions. End of figure 8-10 text. One way of exploring the subject of stress with a student is to recognize when stress is affecting performance. If a student seems distracted or has a particularly difficult time accomplishing the tasks of the lesson, the instructor can query the student. Was the student uncomfortable or tired during the flight? Is there some stress in another aspect of the student's life that may be causing a distraction? This may prompt the student to evaluate how these factors affect performance and judgment. The instructor should also try to determine if there are aspects of pilot training that are causing excessive amounts of stress for the student. For example, if a student consistently makes the decision not to fly, even though weather briefings indicate favorable conditions, it may be due to apprehension regarding the lesson content. Stalls, landings, or an impending solo flight may cause concern. By explaining a specific maneuver in greater detail or offering some additional encouragement, the instructor may be able to alleviate some of the student's stress. To help students manage the accumulation of life stresses and prevent stress overload, instructors can recommend several techniques. For example, including relaxation time in a busy schedule and maintaining a program of physical fitness can help reduce stress levels. Learning to manage time more effectively 
can help pilots avoid heavy pressures imposed by getting behind schedule and not meeting deadlines. While these pressures may exist in the workplace, students may also experience the same type of stress regarding their flight training schedule. Instructors can advise students to self-assess to determine their capabilities and limitations and then set realistic goals. In addition, avoiding stressful situations and encounters can help pilots cope with stress. Use of resources. To make informed decisions during flight operations, students must be made aware of the resources found both inside and outside the flight deck. Since useful tools and sources of information may not always be readily apparent, learning to recognize these resources is an essential part of ADM training. Resources must not only be identified, but students must also develop the skills to evaluate whether they have the time to use a particular resource and the impact that its use would have upon the safety of flight. For example, the assistance of ATC may be very useful if a pilot is lost. However, in an emergency situation when action needs to be taken quickly, time may not be available to contact ATC immediately. During training, CFIs can routinely point out resources to students. Internal resources. Internal resources are found in the flight deck during flight. Since some of the most valuable internal resources are ingenuity, knowledge, and skill, pilots can expand flight deck resources immensely by improving their capabilities. This can be accomplished by frequently reviewing flight information publications, such as 14 CFR and the Aeronautical Information Manual, AIM, as well as by pursuing additional training. A thorough understanding of all the equipment and systems in the aircraft is necessary to fully utilize all resources. For example, advanced navigation and autopilot systems are valuable resources flight instructors must ensure students know how to use. If students do not fully understand how to make use of the equipment, or if they rely on it so much that they become complacent, it can become a detriment to safe flight. With the advent of advanced avionics with glass displays, GPS, and autopilot, flying may seem inherently easier and safer, but in reality it has become more complex. With the update of the Instrument Practical Test Standards PTS, to include electronic flight instrument displays, flight management systems, GPS, and autopilot usage, knowledge of internal resources becomes an important component of flight training. As discussed in the section on flight instructor qualifications, instructors must be familiar with the components of each aircraft in which they instruct to ensure students understand the operation of the equipment. Checklists are essential flight deck resources for verifying that the aircraft instruments and systems are checked, set, and operating properly, as well as ensuring that the proper procedures are performed if there is a system malfunction or in-flight emergency. Students reluctant to use checklists can be reminded that pilots at all levels of experience refer to their checklists, and that the more advanced the aircraft is, the more critical checklists become. With the advent of electronic checklists, it has become easier to develop and maintain personal checklists from the manufacturer's checklist with additions for specific aircraft and operations. In addition, the AFM-POH 
which is required to be carried on board the aircraft, is essential for accurate flight planning and for resolving in-flight equipment malfunctions. Other valuable flight deck resources include current aeronautical charts and publications, such as the Airport-Facility Directory, A-FD. It should be pointed out to students that passengers can also be a valuable resource. Passengers can help watch for traffic and may be able to provide information in an irregular situation, especially if they are familiar with flying. A strange smell or sound may alert a passenger to a potential problem. The PIC should brief passengers before the flight to make sure that they are comfortable voicing any concerns. External Resources Possibly the greatest external resources during flight are air traffic controllers and flight service specialists. ATC can help decrease pilot workload by providing traffic advisories, radar vectors, and assistance in emergency situations. AFSS can provide updates on weather, answer questions about airport conditions, and may offer direction-finding assistance. The services provided by ATC can be invaluable in enabling pilots to make informed in-flight decisions. Instructors can help new students feel comfortable with ATC by encouraging them to take advantage of services, such as flight following and flight watch. If students are exposed to ATC as much as possible during training, they feel confident asking controllers to clarify instructions and are better equipped to use ATC as a resource for assistance in unusual circumstances or emergencies. Throughout training, students can be asked to identify internal and external resources, which can be used in a variety of flight situations. For example, if a discrepancy is found during pre-flight, what resources can be used to determine its significance? In this case, the student's knowledge of the aircraft, the POH, an instructor or other experienced pilot, or an AMT, can be a resource which may help define the problem. During cross-country training, students may be asked to consider the following situation. On a cross-country flight, you become disoriented. Although you are familiar with the area, you do not recognize any landmarks and fuel is running low. What resources do you have to assist you? Students should be able to identify their own skills and knowledge, aeronautical charts, ATC, flight service, and navigation equipment as some of the resources that can be used in this situation. Workload Management Effective workload management ensures the essential operations are accomplished by planning, prioritizing, and sequencing tasks to avoid work overload. As experience is gained, a pilot learns to recognize future workload requirements and can prepare for high workload periods during times of low workload. Instructors can teach this skill by prompting their students to prepare for a high workload. For example, when en route, the student can be asked to explain the actions that need to be taken during the approach to the airport. The student should be able to describe the procedures for traffic pattern entry and landing preparation. Reviewing the appropriate chart and setting radio frequencies well in advance of need helps reduce workload as the flight nears the airport. In addition, the student should listen to the Automatic Terminal Information Service, ATIS, Automated Surface Observing Systems, ASOS, or Automated Weather Observing System, AWOS, if available, and then monitor the tower frequency or Common Traffic Advisory Frequency, 
CTAF, to get a good idea of what traffic conditions to expect. Checklists should be performed well in advance so there is time to focus on traffic and ATC instructions. These procedures are especially important prior to entering a high-density traffic area such as Class B airspace. To manage workload, items should be prioritized. This concept should be emphasized to students and reinforced when training procedures are performed. For example, during a go-around, adding power, gaining airspeed, and properly configuring the aircraft are priorities. Informing the tower of the balked landing should be accomplished only after these tasks are completed. Students must understand that priorities change as the situation changes. If fuel quantity is lower than expected on a cross-country flight, the priority can shift from making a scheduled arrival at the destination to locating a nearby airport to refuel. In an emergency situation, the first priority is to fly the aircraft and maintain a safe airspeed. Another part of managing workload is recognizing a work overload situation. The first effect of high workload is that the pilot begins to work faster. As workload increases, attention cannot be devoted to several tasks at one time, and the pilot may begin to focus on one item. When the pilot becomes task-saturated, there is no awareness of inputs from various sources. Decisions may be made on incomplete information, and the possibility of error increases. Figure 8-11 During a lesson, workload can be gradually increased as the instructor monitors the student's management of tasks. The instructor should ensure that the student has the ability to recognize a work overload situation. When becoming overloaded, the student should stop, think, slow down, and prioritize. It is important that the student understand options that may be available to decrease workload. For example, locating an item on a chart or setting a radio frequency may be delegated to another pilot or passenger. An autopilot, if available, may be used, or ATC may be enlisted to provide assistance. Chapter Summary This chapter discussed the demonstration, performance, and telling and doing, training delivery methods of flight instruction, SBT techniques, practical strategies flight instructors can use to enhance their instruction, integrated flight instruction, positive exchange of flight controls, use of distractions, obstacles to learning encountered during flight training, and how to evaluate students. After an intensive look at ADM with suggestions for how to interweave ADM, risk management, and SRM into the teaching process, it closes with a discussion of CFI recommendations. Additional information on recommendations and endorsements can be found in Appendix E, Flight Instructor Endorsements. End of Chapter 8